the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses raised, heads bowed down. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, today accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello, everybody. This show, for those of you who don't know, is based in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. The idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about history, politics, religion. Tonight is is no exception. We're going to be talking to one of my favorite historians, Dennis Fry, who's going to be talking about Antietam. Also, we're talking to to James Herson. We're going to be talking about politically political correctness. Let's get back to estate planning. Right now, we have one of the newer lawyers with our firm, Nick. Nick, introduce yourself. What's your last name? Because I can't pronounce it. Oh, hello. <laughs> hello, everyone. The last name is Khalife. First name is Nick. Tell us something about your background. Where'd you go to high school? I went to high school in a small country known as Jordan. I attended a Catholic high school from first grade all the way through high school to graduation. Okay, so uh, you know you've been here a short period of time. How long have you been with the office now? Uh, one month exactly. One month Hooray. exactly. Yeah. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Now, some of the questions <laughs> you've gotten, can you can you repeat one of them for our listeners, and we'll try to answer it. So, as we were discussing earlier, I was telling you about business planning. Class that I, because I'm very also very interested in business planning and uh, the business side of uh, the practice of law. And this is one issue that a lot of people do not consider when they start a business. What happens next? Um, you know, thinking about after they pass or who inherits and some of these issues that come up in partnership agreements. And my issue uh, and the, the question was, um, when should people and why should they consider estate planning in uh, some of these scenarios where typically people do not consider these issues, like starting up a business or a young family that are not really thinking about these issues, but it's very important for them yeah. to consider. Well, almost anybody with any kind of assets should think about estate planning, and even some people who don't have assets should think about estate planning. You're starting up a business. You know, the, the question is, what happens to share the business? Because when you first start, you're not thinking about a lot of the bad things or a lot of the what-ifs, but anything can happen, you know, in, in this world. You start up a business. God forbid you're in a car accident. Who's going to take control of the business? Who's going to pay the bills? Who has access to the business accounts? That's where a power of attorney would come into play. 
God forbid you're in an accident, you pass away. Who has ownership interest to that business? Even if it, you know, the, the business may have $10,000 in the bank, or maybe it has substantial assets. Who's, who's got control of it? And that's where a will may come into place. And, and let alone if there's substantial assets, you may want to think about a, you know, a trust agreement so that somebody can, can manage the business. Let's say you're in a car accident, premature stroke, or something like that. Almost everybody needs estate planning. It's just a question, you know, there may be more priorities. But if you own a business, something happens to you. I've seen businesses literally go under because the owner of the business passed away. There was no plan in place. There was nobody to sign the checks. There was nobody to operate the business. And it just went under. And it was a fairly substantial business, but there was nobody there. And, and the guy didn't have any close family. And by the time some family members did get around, the, the business was gone. And that's where a power of attorney, that's if you in a car accident, have a stroke, premature stroke or something like that, you're still alive. A will at the very least if, if you pass away. And a trust if you think it's vital to business keep going soon after that accident or if you pass away. And here's one of the other things about estate planning. If you have children, you should think about a will because you want to appoint a guardian for those children. Let's say you're married, husband and wife, God forbid you're in a car accident together. Who's going to take care of those children? And there are a lot of people who say, well, I don't need a will. I own hardly anything. But you do have children that are under the age of 18 years. You need to appoint a guardian for those children. You don't want those children to be you know, a ward of the state. You want to appoint the person you choose to raise them if something happens to you. And that's one of the most important parts about a will if you have children under the age of 18. And you might say, wait a minute, if something happens to me, I don't want my kids to get it at 18. Well, that's something you can do in your will. You can delay until they receive part of your estate and to whatever age you think is proper, 21, 25. I think most people now are selling around 25 to 30. But could it be younger? It could be older. Some people say 21. I don't want to burden somebody else to manage everything for them for all those years in between. Some people say, wait a minute, my, my kids are not going to be mature at 24, 25. You know, make it 27, make it 30. Sometimes people go even further. The main part is everybody really needs a will, no matter what your circumstances. Everybody needs a will. If you have children under the age of 18, you need a will because you need to appoint a guardian. If you have a business, you need to have a will or a power of attorney or both. I shouldn't say or. You should have both. Now, a power of attorney can be a little touchy. Who do you trust with the power of attorney? Uh, who's in your family? But the question still becomes, if you don't have a power of attorney, the court may appoint a power of attorney for you, and then that person is going to make that decision, and that may not be the person you choose, and in a lot of cases, it won't be. And if it goes through court, Sometimes business decisions can be, you know, they can be strangled because of the court bureaucracy. So again, everybody should have a will. If you have assets, you should really strongly think about a power of attorney. You choose the person to manage those assets for you if you're not able to manage the assets for yourself. And if you have any questions about that, we're going to be doing seminars at the end of uh, June. We're going to be in Midtown Manhattan at the 3 West Club on Tuesday, June 25th. 11 o'clock, 3 p.m. We're going to be in Staten Island at Bocelli Restaurant on Thursday, June 27th at 11 o'clock, 3 p.m., 7 p.m. So if you have any questions about estate planning, and, and I mean, the most, the questions we get mostly is, how do I transfer the assets in my name to my children so that they don't have to pay taxes so we save those assets from medical bills, nursing home bills? That's what we spend most of our time on at the seminars, how to transfer assets from the parents to the next generation. Does it always have to be the next generation? No. Could be from younger brother to sister to... I mean, older brother and sister, younger brother, sister, nephews and nieces. But 90% of the planning we do is between parents and children. So usually I use the terminology, we're passing assets from the parents' names to the children's names without paying taxes, without going to court, and hopefully protecting those assets for medical bills and nursing home bills. We're going to be taking a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. And me, Beth Connors. And Nick Khalifa. Hey! <laughs> 
For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Tuesday, June 25th at the 3 West Club, 3 West 51st Street in Midtown Manhattan at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. And on Thursday, June 27th at Bocelli's Restaurante, 1250 Highland Boulevard in Grasmere, Staten Island at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500. That's Connors & Sullivan, 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. That's connorsandsullivan.com. Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors and Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors and Sullivan. Plan now for later. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. We're back again. And Nick Khalifa. Each week on the Kevin McCullough Show, and you can hear Kevin McCullough Monday through Friday at 5 o'clock on 970, The Answer. Of course, he has an extended hour because he, sh- he shares the Wednesday hour with uh, John Katsimatidis. And on our sister station, 570, The Mission, Monday to Friday at 3 o'clock. And each week, Kevin airs a a question asked by one of our listeners, and we try to answer it. So take it away, Kevin. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Every week we promise you that you'll get a question answered from Mike Connors of Connors & Sullivan, the legendary law firm that uh, knows how to help you plan for your estate care and elder law better than anyone else in the tri-state. This week's question for Mike is from a man named Chase and says, I recently read online in an article advising folks to be aware of an estate planning scam called Trust Mills. Can you elaborate on this, Mike Connors? Yes, and it's it's kind of difficult to explain. But in other words, there's certain companies, they put out a book. You know, they put out kind of like a black book and you put things in there. And they say, here's your trust. But nobody really puts it together. There's contradictory language. They're just selling you a book without really explaining it. There's contradictory language all over. Paragraph 17 is in, in contradiction of paragraph 27. And believe me, nobody can figure it out because they're done by people who really don't understand a trust. They're just selling a product, which is a black book, 
and your life has to fit in the, in the black book, and it doesn't work. So what should people do if they end up uh, finding themselves in the midst of this? Well, if you want to go see us at Connors & Sullivan or another law firm, that's the thing to do. Yeah, and get people that are actually honest and on your side and willing to tell you the truth about what's going on. And don't fall. Usually the, the old saying is true, Mike. If something smells, looks, or seems to be too good to be true, it probably is. Uh, so we want to make sure that people have the, uh, the the right information. And, friends, I have no doubt that you will find that when you contact Connors & Sullivan. And the reason I know that is because uh, I can say they've helped us. They've helped the McCullough family. They've helped uh, Mr. Piscopo and others uh, here at the radio station. 718-238-6500 is their office line, 718-238-6500. You can also send questions. Mike will answer them here and on his broadcast, askmikeconnors at gmail.com, askmikeconnors at gmail.com. And listen to Mike Saturday mornings at 8 on AM 570, The Mission, and Sunday mornings at 11 on AM 970, The Answer. Mike Connors, thanks so much. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks again, Kevin. Nick, do you have another question that you hear fairly frequently or the, the clients have asked you about? Yes. The benefits of setting up trusts for young children and what type of trust do we recommend that parents should consider? Yeah, in a lot of cases, like, there's a decision to be made. If you think children are going to go to college... You may want to send up what's called a 529C plan with a financial institution where you can contribute money to the children's education. It grows tax-free. If you take it out for purposes other than paying for education, it's a penalty similar to making withdrawal from an IRA. But it's a very good way for for assets to go out tax-free. But let's say for the sake of argument, college is taken care of or the grandparents in some cases want to set aside some money for the grandchildren. We might set up a trust where the the grandparents give assets, let's say, to the grandchildren. You can give $15,000 a year without filing a gift tax return. So let's say we have two grandparents and they have two grandchildren. Each grandparent can give $15,000, let's say, to the grandson, $15,000 to the granddaughter. Then the other grandparent can give 15000 to the grandson, $15,000 to the granddaughter. So in this way, you can get about $60,000 a year out tax-free if you have an estate over $5 million in New York State, over $11 million federally. And you may say, well, I don't have those numbers, but a lot of times people in New York... Uh, They have real estate that's worth more than they think, and sometimes it's a good way to get assets out. This way, the assets grow. Ordinarily, in this case, I guess, would be managed by the children. They can invest the money, give it to the grandchildren. You choose the age, whether it's 25 or 30. In in some cases, you may have no distributions until the grandchild reaches the age of 25, because in that way, it's not really an asset for them if they go to college. They can't touch it until they're over 25. But trusts are very flexible documents. So that's one way you can do it. And of course, let's say for the sake of argument, God forbid one of your children passed away and they left children, you may want to leave trust accounts for you know those children because maybe they're not old enough to quite manage things on their own. And you know th- this is a side point, but this is where some people make a lot of mistakes. They have an insurance policy, they have an IRA, they have an annuity, whatever. And you know they go in and the, the salesperson who sell them the insurance policy, they say, okay, who do you want as beneficiary? And say, okay, I want my son as beneficiary, which is natural and the right thing to do. But then the son has a let's say a daughter who's ten years old, and the, the agent may ask a question without really talking about it or going through it, says, well, who do you want as the alternate? Well, I want my granddaughter. And that's fine. And then God forbid the son dies, then you pass away. And then you've got a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old grandchild who's inherited this money. And if it's an IRA, it causes a number of problems. One, the grandchild can't legally sign his or her name, can't really make a withdrawal. Taxes might be due, maybe not a lot, but they're still 
taxes due, how are they going to get paid? How is it going to be filed? And it causes more problems than it's worth. If you're going to name somebody under the age of 18 as beneficiary, then I strongly recommend you think about doing a trust. And then you put somebody else in charge, somebody else who can make withdrawals, who can pay the taxes, who can make sure the money's invested properly until the child is of the proper age. What's the proper age? It's hard to say. I think most people right now are settling between 25 and 30. I know some doctors say that the brain is not fully mature until somebody's 27. So some people are trying to pick on that age. And there's no one right answer, but that's something if you come into our office, we can kick it around and try to come up with the right answer. Now, our our next guest is James Herson, and he's going to be talking about political correctness. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash F Melia. Once again, call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank. NMLS number 403503. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home. But if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church... I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. The Yankees have been in the news for a number of different reasons, but one of the negative reasons is they start stop playing Kate Smith's God Bless America during the game. And some people were outraged by this, so we decided to ask Newsmax commentator James Hurston his take on it. Welcome to Connors Corner. Oh, great to be with you. Kate Smith, Yankees, Kate Smith in general, what do you have to say? Well, it, it's grossly unfair to take a person like Kate Smith and just single out a couple of tunes, which is what they've done. The song lyrics are politically incorrect. And to do that 
uh, and then trash her essentially as uh, someone who's a racist, which is what they're they're playing, and try to erase her from history. Now they've they've done this um, with a, a you know Confederate leaders. They've done it by or at least they're trying to do it to founding fathers like Thomas Jefferson, who incidentally a someone who's running for office for president recently said he should be erased. And that's Pete Buttigieg has said that. Um, and they, they tried to do it with John Wayne. Um, they, and it's still pending in California to try to change the name of John Wayne's airport over something he said in one interview. So I think we've lost the distinction between um, a person's actions and their life and the context of where they uh, basically historically performed. And in the case of Kate Smith, uh, she was actually an activist for civil rights, not against it. And and because I think part of it is we look at the people that are being attacked, and the attacks tend to come from fringe groups, and they're people that represent or symbolize patriotism. And the fact is the left sees patriotism as a negative thing because they love the notion of a global brotherhood, globalism. They don't like nationalism. So attacking John Wayne, a symbol of patriotism, attacking Thomas Jefferson, the author of the Declaration of Independence, attacking Kate Smith, best known for the song God Bless America. It's it's a it's a real uh, politically driven agenda, and it has nothing to do with reality. Kate Smith was not a racist. Kate Smith uh, represents something very positive about love for country and love for the notion that this country is based on a belief in a deity, a creator of the universe, and an order in the universe. And that's something also, um, obviously, the left and the left in all its governmental forms cannot tolerate. You think they're purposely doing this just because they don't like the idea of God bless America. And they're looking for an excuse to tear that song down through Kate Smith saying she did something whenever. What year was she supposed to have done this, uh, you know, racist? Uh, I, I don't know the exact. It's decades ago. It's not it has no relevance to today's world. And that's one of the things. I mean, we lived in a, in a different world. It's uh, at the time that Kate Smith is alleged to have done this, there were all kinds of things done that were politically incorrect. And to me, you know, they've banned the song of the South uh, motion animated motion picture from Walt Disney. Um, they've uh, banned uh in many states, they're banning Mark Twain's work. This is extremely short-sighted, and to, and uh, and banning television shows. I mean, it's just the same type of thinking. And it's, uh, but I believe that there are groups that look for and research. I mean, nobody's even ever heard of the songs that Kate Smith allegedly. They, I think, it had the word darkies in it. Uh, Stephen Foster, uh, the, one a famous American songwriter who wrote Swanee River, 
those songs are filled with references to African-Americans that in today's language would be offensive. But that, but they weren't offensive at the time, and they weren't meant as a pejorative, and that's the key. So I, I just, I think there's a complete lack of understanding and context. Why aren't more people in, in the mainstream? Why aren't we fighting back? Well, I think people are fighting back, but I think one of the problems with, uh, you know, when we look at Middle America, we look at working America. I'll call it is that they live in a media world that is so dominated by liberal thought that they begin to think they're a minority. And that's what I believe the left wants America to think. And they're not a minority. But the same thing happens on social media, where there's technology that allows a small number of people to appear as though they're a larger number. And groups use that technology to intimidate, intimidate corporations and intimidate sports teams. I mean, the Yankees are an American institution. The Yankees are one of the best franchises in the world and happen to be involved in America's pastime, baseball. And for the Yankees to get intimidated by, uh, you know, people that claim to be offended because Kate Smith sings God Bless America, uh, it's an outrage, and, it, and it, it shouldn't be tolerated. I understand there's even, you know, there's a boycott being called. I hate to see boycotts, but I think the Yankee fans who love the Yankees, love baseball, love America, and love God, for the most part, need their voices to be heard in some way and let the Yankees know we won't stand for this. We want to hear that song. It's part of tradition. And not all tradition needs to be thrown out by the so-called progressives in our society. Now, this one touches a little close to to home, but who's trying to take John Wayne's statue down? Uh, This again started, actually, it started with a screenwriter in Hollywood who uh, started posting on his Twitter account excerpts from a Playboy interview that took place in the 1970s with uh, John Wayne, where he said politically incorrect things. And so therefore, they're going to try to label him. And it was taken up uh, by a prominent writer in the Los Angeles Times, a Pulitzer Prize winning writer, who called for his name to be taken down from John Wayne Airport that's located in Orange County, California, it's just south of Los Angeles. Um, and John Wayne, here's this, I mean, to <laughs> try to call John Wayne a racist, you have to reconcile something. The man was married three times. <laughs> Each time John Wayne was married, it was a Latina woman. So I, not much of a racist at all. And so you, you take one interview, and by the way, with Playboy, in those days when stars did interviews with Playboy magazine, it was the equivalent of maybe going on the old Howard Stern show. They said things they wouldn't say anywhere else. They let their hair down. And, you know, we're talking about that interview, I do recall, took place in the same year that Clint Eastwood released a film called Dirty Harry, which could not be released today because Dirty Harry was 
shocking to the press and they called it a right wing movie uh, simply because it had a renegade police officer fighting back from politically correct policing. And uh, so you have to look at it again with the context of the times, but John Wayne is more, you know, similar to Kate Smith's rendition of God bless America. John Wayne is a person is a symbol of two things that are not in style right now. One is patriotism and the other is um, uh, masculinity. John John Wayne is also attacked for being a purveyor of masculinity and toxic masculinity at that. How dare he? Well, God bless Kate Smith. God bless John Wayne. God bless James Harrison for for doing what you're doing. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with with you, and God bless America. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, Connors & Sullivan Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit ccbq.org. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. In 1948, the U.N. published the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, stating that, quote, everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person. And it also states, everyone has the right to recognition everywhere as a person before the law. Isn't it time for nations to pay attention to these statements when they craft their policies on abortion? This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. June 10th, 2019. It's going to be a very special night for the Civil War Roundtable of New York. They're going to have one of our favorite guests, Civil War historian Dennis Fry. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing great and thrilled to be on the program with you today. Thanks for the invitation. Okay, so now what are you going to be talking about on June 10th? Well, I'm going to be speaking about my most recent book. It's entitled Antietam Shadows, Mystery, Myth, and machination. So 150 plus years after the battle, there's still some mysteries about it? Oh, 
my, there's so many mysteries and there's so many misconceptions. Uh, I'm very blessed. I actually grew up very near the Antietam battlefield and where many people have to travel long distances, come and visit the place. I can be there in five minutes uh, from my home. And so uh, I've spent nearly 50 years studying the Antietam battlefield and walking its grounds and thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And the more rumination I do, the more that's been revealed to me. And I've discovered that there's many misconceptions and misunderstandings about Antietam. And that's what Antietam Shadows is all about. Okay, let's step back for the listener who may know something about the battle, but not a lot. Who was the commander of the Confederate armies? Who was the commander of the Union army? Well, uh, I think most of your listeners will recognize the name of the Confederate commander, without doubt, uh, the most famous uh, Southern commander of the Civil War, Robert E. Lee. And uh, this is an important period in history because this is the first invasion of the North by a Confederate army. There were three total. Uh, The most famous one is the second invasion in Gettysburg. But Antietam uh, was the result of the first invasion, and uh, Lee would be commander of the Army of Northern Virginia. The Union commander, uh, George B. McClellan. And he and President Lincoln didn't get along well. In fact, uh, President Lincoln had just fired McClellan uh, prior to the invasion. But once the Confederates crossed the Potomac River and started to head north towards Pennsylvania, Lincoln literally was looking around for a general. So he got down on his hands and knees and went back to the man he just fired. And George McClellan became the commander of the Army of the Potomac. And those were the two men who faced off against each other at Antietam, Lee and McClellan. Now, of course, some historians debate, was it a, a tactical victory? Was it a tie strategically? What's your opinion? Well, I talk about that quite a bit in Antietam Shadows, and I am not of the school that it is a tactical draw. I was for a long time. Most historians uh, consider it a tactical draw, and most uh, aficionados of the Civil War look at it as a tactical draw because after 12 hours of a slugfest and nearly 24,000 men dead and wounded in what is the bloodiest day in American history, uh, Lee still was on the ground. McClellan was still on the ground. So if you look at actual holding of the positions, it looks like a draw. It's not. It's not anywhere close to a draw. It is an enormous Union victory. It is one of the most important United States victories on any battlefield in any, any war America participated in. And I think that's been often overshadowed and overlooked. And that's one reason that I use the word shadows in the title of my new book, because so much of Antietam still hasn't really been revealed. Why do you have a different opinion than the many historians, not all, obviously, but w- why, why was it a victory? Well, first of all, I consider myself an expert on Antietam. Um, many Civil War historians are experts in specific fields. Uh, there's more Gettysburg experts than there are people on the planet. <laughs> um, but um, uh, Antietam is one of those battles that historians have ignored uh, for generations. It's really gotten very little coverage. If you stacked up the number of books on Gettysburg and the number of books on Antietam, and you literally put stacks beside each other, Gettysburg would be stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks. Antietam would barely look like one stack. And so it's a battle that has just received very, very limited attention. And so I've enjoyed studying it in great detail, uh, questioning um, uh, its conclusions and questioning the conclusions of other historians. Um, And so I uh, feel for the following reasons that it's very, very significant in American history. One, it allowed Lincoln to issue the Emancipation Proclamation. No other battle gave the president that opportunity. Two, 
diplomatic opportunities for uh, the South were at their, their apex in September of 1862. England and France were giving serious consideration to some form of intervention in the war, which would have been a disaster for the North. That doesn't happen. Uh, because of Antietam, uh, England and France basically bow out of any opportunities to uh, assist the South, and so that's significant. And finally, and this is maybe more important than anything, is that it was a congressional election year, and the Republicans were on the verge of defeat in September of 1862. The war was going badly for Lincoln and uh, and the Republican Party. And so if the Democrats had won the congressional elections in September of 1862, um, they would have ended the war. They would have cut off all appropriations. The House of Representatives has that power. And I don't care who the president is. If you don't have money, war doesn't continue. And so the Democrats would have ended the war in the fall of 1862 without the great victory at Antietam. Lincoln used that victory, and the Republicans used that victory to say, look, we know what we're doing. We can beat these people. And uh, it was that was a tale uh, that was told in the polls. The Republicans held on. So for those three reasons, uh, the emancipation, the diplomatic uh, interest, and uh, the election of 1862, nothing, no other battle comes close to Antietam in terms of importance. Now, what did you learn in your studies over the years about General McClellan? Well, I'll be the first to tell you I don't like George McClellan. In fact, I'll be stronger than that. I hate George McClellan. And most of the story, well, let me not put it that way. Many Civil War people, the, the, the millions of people who enjoy studying and reading about and learning about the Civil War, share my opinion of George McClellan. They don't like him. He's egotistical. He's arrogant. He's insubordinate. I could go on and on with all the things that I don't like about George McClellan. Um, and I have spent most of my career bashing McClellan. But I must admit in the last decade or so, I've reassessed my opinions of McClellan, not because I like him more, but because I've tried to divorce myself from my own prejudice against him and actually go beyond myself and see if there was anything the man did that was good, anything. And I actually discovered, um, once I was able to take my own personal prejudice out of the picture, very difficult to do, incidentally, um, that McClellan had some major, major accomplishments uh, during the uh, invasion of 1862. In fact, in my book, Antietam Shadows, I actually have chapters entitled, now get this, this, is the, <laughs> this was hard to write, but it's true. Did McClellan outthink Lee? All right. We're, We're waiting for the answer. You have to read the book. Okay. And I will be speaking about that. Uh, I will be using one of the chapters, Did McClellan Outthink Lee? That'll be one of the topics I intend to discuss uh, at my New York City Civil Roundtable appearance. You talk about some of the myths. What are some of the myths that you cover in your book? Well, I'll give you an example of a myth. Uh, this involves Robert E. Lee. Uh, one of the, and, the, and the writer of this, now, now, now hold your pants. The writer of this particular myth is none other than Pulitzer Prize winner Douglas Southall Freeman. Now, what kind of idiot would take on Dr. Freeman? Well, I guess I must be that idiot. <laughs> um, I, I admire Freeman. I love Freeman. Uh, I've got Freeman's books. Freeman's, book on, Freeman's biography on Lee is just a, a remarkable piece of work. Uh, his, his three volumes on Lee's lieutenants is unequaled. I like Dr. Freeman, and he's a tremendous writer. However, he makes mistakes just like we all do. He's human. And uh, I discovered a big blunder of his 
Uh, in his opening page on the Battle of Antietam in Volume 2 of uh, his biography on Lee, uh, he has a quotation. And the quotation is, we shall make our stand on those hills. That's a direct quote of Robert E. Lee. And it's attributed to a Civil War soldier through a, uh, a writing that he did, and so uh, it's referenced, et cetera, et cetera. Turns out that General Lee never said that. Turns out that the Confederate soldier that Freeman cites wasn't even at Antietam. He was home recovering from illness and did not join the Army in Northern Virginia until a week after the battle. That's the kind of myth that I discovered. And in that case, it was a myth that Dr. Freeman perpetuated because he did not do thorough research and just took for granted that this biographer, this particular Civil War soldier writing an autobiography, was telling the truth. It was not true. All right. Now let's get to, to two players that are famous for the Battle of, of Antietam. General A.P. Hill, and I, I can't not mention that since you're coming to New York. Well, of course, General Hill, uh, quite a character in the war, very famous uh, uh, division commander, uh, General Lee, depended upon him. Even General Jackson uh, had great uh, respect for, for General Hill. Now, they didn't get along. Uh, in fact, Jackson actually, <laughs> in Jackson's inimical in, in way, he had uh, General Hill under arrest as the invasion began in September of 1862 for not moving fast enough, promptly enough. Uh, so he put him under arrest. But old Jack was smart enough to know when he was ready to go into battle, he didn't want one of his leading generals under arrest. And so as they approached Harper's Ferry, where they were going to go into battle, General Jackson arrested the arrest, and uh, Hill went into the fight. And he really was the determining factor in the battle of Harper's Ferry. He's the one who forced the Union surrender, the capitulation in Harper's Ferry, just prior to Antietam. Of course, I'm mentioning Harper's Ferry because that's where Hill was, when the battle began on September the 17th, and he received an urgent message from Lee to come north. Uh, he marched rapidly in a forced march with his men uh, towards Sharpsburg, which is uh, a day's march north of uh, Harper's Ferry. He arrived on the field just in time to uh, halt the advance of the Union Army that was being led by Ambrose Burnside, and he saved General Lee that day. Uh, no question about it. Hill, if Hill hadn't come up on the field, Lee's army would have been flanked, uh, his line of retreat would have been sliced, and uh, it would have been doomsday for Lee and the Army in Northern Virginia. So General Hill literally rescued Lee from oblivion that day in that uh, incredible march from and then fight uh, on the field of Antietam. Um, one of my favorite characters. He didn't, he didn't do as well once he became a corps commander. In fact, uh, at Gettysburg, he's often thought of the absent Hill. Um, uh, he doesn't have the same reputation as he did as a division commander. But, boy, I often think Antietam might have been his best day of the war. All right. Now, you mentioned General Burnside. So Burnside Bridge, what, what can we learn about General Burnside? Well, first of all, I want to admit a prejudice uh, in favor of General Burnside. And, again, you would say, what kind of Civil War historian <laughs> could possibly like Ambrose Burnside? As you can tell, I'm quirky. Um, I love I love to deal with people who uh, have been downtrodden and beaten up uh, over the generations, and Burnside certainly is at the top of that hill. Um, and I have an affinity for General Burnside in that the home that I own and restored, the historic house that I have, was General Burnside's headquarters uh, right after Antietam. He was here uh, at my house for almost two weeks. And he had an important visitor while he was here, uh, and that was Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln conference with Burnside in my home uh, on October the 2nd, 1862. 
but there's a misunderstanding of Burnside Bridge um, and misconception, and I talk about it in Antietam Shadows. The belief is that Burnside just literally bashed and bashed and bashed against that bridge, that bulkhead, and that his fort, he was just committing suicide with each one of these attacks. Turned out that's not the case at all. Burnside went around the bridge. He flanked the Confederates and forced them out of that position and suffered very few casualties. And what tipped me off that something strange had happened at Burnside Bridge was this. In the area around the cornfield, Eastwoods, Westwoods, there's nearly 13,000 Union and Confederate casualties. In the area around the Bloody Lane, there's nearly 9,000 casualties on both sides. Ambrose Burnside took the bridge, the most difficult position on the field for an offensive assault, suffered 400 casualties. He went around it. He flanked the enemy out of that position. That's what forced the Confederates to leave. It was a brilliant flanking maneuver. Burnside gets absolutely no credit for it. I talk about this in Antietam Shadows. All right. So we've learned a, a lot already. Now, let me ask you something. The, the person out there is saying, can they go to the Antietam battlefield today? And what's it like? Well, boy, I first of all, I want to invite people to the Antietam battlefield. It's not far from Washington or Baltimore. Uh, hour and a half drive from either Washington or Baltimore, you're at Antietam. It's in western Maryland. Uh, it's easily accessed from uh, Interstate 81 or Interstate 70. And uh, it's located in a very rural part of western Maryland. The beautiful thing about Antietam is its preservation. It is among the best-preserved Civil War sites in the United States. Uh, a Union or Confederate soldier could go to Antietam today, go to the place where they fought, and recognize that location immediately. The battlefield has changed so little since September 17, 1862. So if anyone wants to learn what a Civil War battlefield looks like, unmarred, um, unblemished, Antietam is the place to go. All right. Now, uh, on June 10th, are you going to have copies of your book with you? Well, the uh, roundtable has invited me to bring copies, and I certainly I hope so. will. Um, the uh, the book is my newest book. Um, it's uh, It sells for $20. And I will say that the proceeds from the book go either towards Civil War battlefield preservation or into scholarships uh, that I offer uh, for students to study the Civil War at universities and colleges. And so um, it doesn't pocket uh, doesn't go into my pocket and make any money for me. I, I use all the proceeds to help others or help save battlefields. So uh, you almost can think of it as a contribution toward battlefield preservation or helping a young person learn more about the Civil War. Why should we even care about the Civil War? It's over more than 150 years ago. Well, for many people, the Civil War is not over. We still debate its causes. We still are not in agreement with what caused the Civil War. I have a chapter in uh, Antietam Shadows that's entitled, Let's Agree, We Disagree. And it's all about the causes of the Civil War and the fact that we cannot come to uh, agreement. It often depends upon geography. Where did you grow up? What were you taught uh, in terms of how its point of view, its point of view uh, as to how people look at the war and uh, uh, understand it. Uh, I personally, and I'm not bashful about this, I will tell anyone this, I personally believe the war was the principal cause, the principal cause of the American Civil War is slavery. Notice I didn't say was. 
I put it in present tense, is slavery, because people that debate it today debate it in present tense. And uh, I'm often attacked for that belief, uh, but I stand firm, um, and I think that uh, everything points, every direction of the compass points at slavery as the cause of the Civil War. But we're not in agreement in that in America, and of course that's one of the wonderful things about the First Amendment. We don't have to agree. And so... um, I think uh, one reason the war still lives is because it's so hotly debated. Um, and uh, thankfully, we, aren't, we don't have New Yorkers killing South Carolinians, and we don't have North Carolinians killing people from Massachusetts, thankfully, on battlefields within our own, uh, along the Potomac and Shenandoah Rivers. Thank God that's not where we are. But uh, I think uh, a lot of people still like to debate the Civil War, and that's what keeps it alive. And thank you to historians like you who come up with different ideas and and keep history alive and keep it vibrant. Well, we have to. We have to, uh, Mike. Um, I think one reason that that history is often considered a dead uh, uh, waste of time is because we don't do well— sharing with people that history is not facts, it's not dates, it's not chronology, and it's not rote memorization and regurgitation of dates and chronology on some idiot test. I mean, that's how we teach history, and no wonder most people hate history. They hate it. Um, Is history taught anymore in schools, though? My feedback, it isn't. Not a problem. When you look at STEM, science, technology, uh, English, math, or engineering math, actually, would be STEM, uh, where the devil's history fit in there. Um, And so um, if we do STEAM, uh, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, at least they're able to uh, include history as uh, under the arts. (laughs) But it's sad. Uh, We have now so many people who know how to build a computer or a robot uh, and think they're helping humanity uh, with with their science, and they are. But think about how many people don't know anything about humanity, don't know anything about their fellow humans, because they don't know anything about the history of humans. June 10th, 2019, Civil War Roundtable of New York, 3 West 51st Street. Doors open at 530. You're going to hear Dennis Fry. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Real pleasure. Looking forward to my visit to New York City and hope to see some of your listeners there. Thank you. You know, if you want to catch Dennis Fry in person, the place to do that is the 3 West Club, 3 West 51st Street, on June 10th, Monday, June 10th. But you need to call for reservations. The phone number is 718-341-9811. 718-341-9811. The cost for non-members is $60. You get a three-course meal, and you get to hear one of the best Civil War speakers, historians around, and Dennis Fry, and he's going to be talking about Antietam, which is one of the most overlooked, important battles of the Civil War. Nick, do you know very much about the Civil War, the American Civil War? Well, I know briefly, not pretty much the Abraham Lincoln, the North versus the South, the anti-slavery, Yeah, and I think okay. it was around also the time of the... Railroad expansion, if yeah. I'm not okay, mistaken. Okay. Well, you need to learn more about the Civil War, so show up on June 10th to, to right, hear, right? you know, Dennis Fry. Be Dennis, our guest. Dennis Fry is a very interesting, you know, speaker. Oh, we liked it. Well, that's what you'd said. Now, why is he one of your favorites? One, he has a lot of knowledge, and two, he has a different slant on things. You know, a, a lot of historians, they come up from the same point of view, the same angle. And yeah, I mean, if you read something, a lot of people are going to come up with the same conclusions. But you know, like on George McClellan, I I think over the years, I've picked up some insights on George McClellan 
And, 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 you know, Dennis Fry says George McClellan's not his favorite person or whatever, but there's still some interesting insights on George McClellan that he has come up with over the years. So that that's one of the reasons I enjoy listening to Dennis Fry. He's not straight in the box. You know, he, he he's a little bit outside the box. And I know the, the guys at the Civil War Roundtable are going to have a tour with him in October to – be a part of the tour, you got to be a member of the club. And to join the club, give us a call at 718-341-9811. If you want to hear us on the seminars, you know, we're going to have the times and dates in uh, just a little bit. Now, we're going to be in Midtown Manhattan on Tuesday, June 25th, Staten Island on June 27th. The end of July, we'll be in Brooklyn, and we'll be going to do seminars around Brooklyn. I don't know if we have all our places set yet. So, And then we'll be back in, in Queens maybe in September or so. Yeah. So... Remember when you were in Brooklyn to come see the soldiers at the office? Well, that's hundreds if... of thousands of little soldiers. Where were you yesterday, Mr. Connors? I was at the uh, Memorial Day parade. And then where were you? Yesterday. Oh, then what was what what was happening after that? You know, occasionally on Sundays when I'm off, I work on some of the soldiers here yeah, setting up the scenes. Deploying your troops. <laughs> Deploying your troops, that's where you are. And if you ever want to see the soldiers on 7408 Fifth Avenue, you know, you can schedule a tour. Come when it's not too busy, so they'll they'll try to put it for you. But again, thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye, everybody. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, the voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered, we are gathered here on hallowed ground, the voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Tuesday, June 25th at the 3 West Club, 3 West 51st Street in Midtown Manhattan at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. And on Thursday, June 27th at Bocelli's Ristorante, 1250 Highland Boulevard in Grasmere, Staten Island at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors & Sullivan. Plan now for later. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.